This is the American Artson Podcast, where our goal is to spark creativity. Whether you're a musician, an artist, a writer, or an entrepreneur, we're here to provide you with tools, tips, and insight from professionals and creatives that you can use to inform and inspire your own journey. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the American Arson Podcast. Today, we have Jordan Baker from the Worth It or Worthless Podcast, and Jordan Olson also happens to be my brother. Yeah, we definitely wanted to have Jordan on as soon as possible. He's done a lot of work for us as a band, um, as well as on his own projects. If you've seen any of our music videos, uh, chances are he worked on it um, pretty extensively. Um, and he just has a ton of experience in many other creative outlets, which we'll get into. Absolutely. He's kind of like a creative jack of all trades. And uh, so interesting to see. Yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting to hear some of the stories that he has. And uh, I'm looking forward to our first non-musical uh, uh, guest, even though he does have a musical background, which I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on. Yeah, we'll dive into that a bit. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, without further ado, here's Jordan. Jordan, how's it going today? Hey, it's going great. Going real good. I see you have a Marvel video game cabinet in the background. Just about to mention that. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'd, I might have had like a quarter life crisis uh, last fall and <laughs> decided that I needed an arcade machine and I went on like a binge of checking Facebook marketplace and like emailing and reaching out to like friends and being like do you have an arcade machine and then I finally just bought one and uh it's great was it, it this specific one you were looking for no I I literally started out saying like I want any arcade machine I don't even <laughs> care like our our cousins moved into a house and they had one in their basement and I kept meaning to like email them about it and like or text them or whatever and ask about it. And then when I finally did, they're like, "Oh, we gave it to our church, but I don't think they're using it." <laughs> and I I know the I know the youth pastor at their church because I'm a youth pastor and we're in like the same network. Uh, yeah, so I yeah. reached out to him. I was like, "Hey, do you have that arcade machine? And what are you guys doing with it?" And he's like, "Oh, you just missed it. We just threw it in the dumpster oh, yesterday. No, and in the dumpster." Like, no! Oh, or whatever man. they got they got rid of it it was too late oh, so so what does that one play this one plays everything really because i put a i put a computer in it and yeah awesome <laughs> modified a little bit of everything cool well that ties into kind of one of we what we wanted to start the conversation off with was um the podcast that you've been working on for what has it been about a year now or a little more than that We'll be two years next month, coming up on fifty episodes. Jeez, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and for for some, uh, for somebody who doesn't know, um, you want to give a brief explanation of what your podcast is all about. Yes, the podcast is called Worth It or Worthless, and the basic premise was initially, I have a friend, Dan, who is a video game collector, and he has like a gazillion video games, retro video games, and I like retro video games, like we grew up playing retro 
games. Mm-hmm. They weren't retro. They were just games. <laughs> yeah. Because um, that makes us I... retro now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a collector at all. And I really don't know a lot about these games. Like I grow with them, but like I'm not like super deep into it. So the premise was a guy who's super deep into it and a guy who doesn't know a whole lot about it, but likes playing them get together, play these old games and then talk about, are they worth the crazy prices that retro games sell for today? Yeah. And um, yeah, that's the basic premise. A lot of times it's basically me saying, no, of course it's not worth it. This game (laughs) is garbage. And my friend saying, of course it's worth it. And he just had a terrible time for three hours playing this game. And he's trying to justify why it, you should spend thirty dollars. Yeah, this his game, so he clearly has an emotional attachment to a lot of the games that you guys play. Yeah, which I can relate to because whenever we play a game that was a big one in our family, like we played NFL Blitz, which yep. was a huge game in our family, or. Um, this next episode that we're working on is Pokemon Blue, which is probably the game that I played more than any other game or beaten more than any other game. Mm-hmm. And for those ones that I have an emotional attachment to, it's really hard to separate um, the nostalgia from what they're actually worth. So I, I can understand. <laughs> yeah. So was it your idea to get the podcast going or was it Dan's idea or a little bit of both? Or how did how did that get started? No, so I um, I very rarely am an ideas person. I like to make things happen, which is good for Dan and I's relationship because he's an idea guy and he's always, always texting with me. I woke up this morning to text from Dan's with ideas and I usually am like, all right, I'll go along with it. So um, this is not the first endeavor. Dan uh, just recently graduated. He went back to school and got a degree in um, game development. Oh, awesome. And so... Um, I do some pixel art and chiptune music, so he's roped me into helping him out on a few games that he's been working on, and uh, he's always got ideas, so I usually just get dragged along on other people's uh, things, which is sort of what happened uh, when I was in a band, too. It's like, my older brother's in a band. I want to be in a band. Yeah. Yeah, I think I just just, just, pretty much most things that happen. I just go along with whatever (laughs) idea somebody else came up with. Um, But you did uh, design your own game and do all the music for it. And it was pretty awesome. One time, never again, never Uh, again. Do you want to tell everybody what the what that game was all about? I um, I created an iPhone game called Noah's Bark like Noah's Ark, but with a B. And the premise was that you were Noah and you had to protect your lumber supply from a horde of beavers. And it was basically like Missile Command, if you guys remember the old school, like like 70s arcade game, Missile Command, where all the the beavers are coming down and you have to tap them and you're throwing rocks at them and killing them. Um, And it was fun. I had no clue what I was doing. I do not know how to code anything. So it was mostly me just copying and pasting bits of code from other people's things until it worked. (laughs) Um, My favorite part was making the chiptune soundtrack. We made like a five or six song EP of chiptune, like old school hymns. Yeah. And so that was that was my favorite part. People can still find that uh, online if they want to go listen to it. Yeah, if you go on Spotify and look up Noah's Bark EP or my name Jordan Dean Baker, it'll it'll pop up there. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, if you've, if you've ever just really had a hankering for chiptune versions of old hymns, um, he's got you covered there. So if you 
if you want to hear a halftime breakdown in the middle of the Battle Hymn of the Republic, I got you covered. <laughs> you know, there's somebody who woke up last night just like, man, I just need to hear Chip Tune Battle Hymn of the Republic real bad today. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So, so then, um, did Dan or did you, did you kind of realize that there was a, a niche out here? for this type of a show or was it just something you guys were like well we're gonna do it we don't really care if anybody likes it or listens to it um, or how did you think that it would be something people were interested in uh yeah no we didn't really think anybody would listen to it um <laughs> we <laughs> it was a good excuse for us to get our wives to let us hang out for like four hours and play a video game hang so, out and talk about video games yeah so now you know we had been friends for a long time uh dan and i actually worked together at taco bell when i was in i don't know if i was in nice. high school or early college so that's where we met and uh then we, we hung out a lot and i moved away and i'd come back and it was always it's just hard when you're an adult to make time to hang out with your friends but when you have something like this and you know every two weeks we have to hang out for at least a couple hours to play some games to. and record a podcast no right. i mean like it's a it's a great great reason to get to hang out with your friends so we didn't think anybody would listen to it and it kind of like took off um i do uh creative media stuff and social media and so i made an instagram page for the podcast and it started out with us like trying to post stuff about our podcast which nobody cared about and then i started posting just like retro game stuff and lots of people cared about it and um we have like almost ten thousand followers on the instagram which i know isn't like huge but is huge for oh, us yeah. because oh, we absolutely. don't have any so from that like people have started listening to the podcast and uh yeah we have like a a decent sized audience and uh i don't know why people like to listen to us talk about video games but apparently some people do <laughs> i think like you you hit that nail on the head of just like finding the a niche that like it, it it's not oversaturated at least that i know of i can't think of too many other podcasts that i mean maybe one i'm sure there's other like video game podcasts out there but like not necessarily ones that are focused on the retro aspect of it and then that th there's obviously a huge following for that people have a love for those old nostalgic games and then to have something that they can you know delve into that that focuses just on that i mean it seems to be the way to go whether it's you're a musician or a you know a podcaster or a videographer is finding finding that that niche like and and especially with like social media they always say like with instagram and stuff if you find if you're able to find that niche and stick to it whether it's aesthetically or topic wise then you're more likely to grow but it's i mean ten thousand after just a couple years of of doing that starting from nothing too is is impressive yeah that's pretty yeah crazy. it's 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 nuts with how many podcasts there are now and how many like niches are still not really being fulfilled. Um, I I don't know if you guys remember, there was like a series of books when we were kids called Redwall. Yeah. And the premise was basically like yeah. rodents, small woodland creatures murdering each other with medieval weapons. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I started like trying to collect those and like read them again a couple of years ago. And I was like, I wonder if somebody's out there doing a podcast on this. And this is like every single one of those books was a New York Times bestseller. Like there's a ton of people that right. read those books. And there's like one podcast out there for Redwall and it's not good. Well, so if anyone go. out there is like looking for a, a good niche to start a podcast in, 
maybe you should start the next huge red wall Evan, podcast. i think we need to pivot. yeah well we know, we know we have one fan if we were to start that right yeah. <laughs> so what what caused you to pivot on the the instagram um strategy and start kind of posting you know, for anybody that hasn't seen it um you know it's kind of uh on this day um uh, you know 20 years ago this game was released or uh, here's an old ad that we found for Nintendo, which is kind of crazy to see some of those old ads that some of them would probably have never gotten approved these days. But what caused you to kind of <laughs> to kind of make that shift? Yeah, I think the thing with social media, and this is true, regardless, whatever your niche is, you just got to figure out what works and then keep doing that until it doesn't work anymore and figure <laughs> out what your next thing is. And thankfully, Instagram gives you the tools to do that. If you are checking out your insights and looking at the analytics and figuring out which posts are doing well and then do more of that. So we started off just posting like stuff about this is our upcoming episode or here's a clip from our episode. But it's like nobody knew who we were or cared. So it didn't really that wasn't getting any traction. And I don't know if I just like stumbled upon like posting some old ads or commercials or whatever. Um, and those just blew up. Mm -hmm. And so I just started posting more of those. And then it took us like a year to figure out the you know our show is called worth it or worthless the entire premise is we talk about the game and then at the end we say well is it worth the the price that it's going for yeah but we weren't asking that question to our our fans online and once we started doing that we realized like oh people want to share their opinions they don't want to just hear our opinions so yeah doing those kind of posts where we say hey this is how much this game is worth is it worth it or is it worthless and getting that sort of interaction on there helped or um, like you guys mentioned, we'll take like 30 Super Nintendo games, put half of them on one side of the graphic, half of them on the other side of the graphic and say, all right, you can only keep half of these and you have to get rid of them. And it's like people agonize yeah. over these hypothetical situations <laughs> of like, I'm going to, I'm not going to be able to play these games ever again. It's like, well, you're going to scroll past this and forget you ever saw this. But for that 30 <laughs> seconds, you had a very visceral reaction to having to never be able to play Super Mario Land again. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just figuring out what worked and, and going with it. That's really cool. I, I You said that Instagram kind of gives you the tools to do that. Um, you know, I noticed that you, you haven't been able to make the same amount of headway <clears throat> on Facebook and stuff. It's... <laughs> It's uh, it's just a totally different world, um, and the yeah. the differences between the two are are so pronounced that you can see kind of where your where your crew of people um is, and and then um it so but you you're still making an attempt on on both platforms, and is that just yeah well. Yeah, I mean, you got to be everywhere. So I know we have a Facebook, we have Instagram. I think you know, our Instagram's just about to break ten thousand. Twitter, we just broke a thousand after two years. And Twitter, man, that requires so much more work. Yeah, like on Instagram, you just post something and people come and they'll talk about it. On, on Twitter, yeah. it's like you have to be constantly involved in the conversation. And I've noticed in like the times when I go and I'm like intentional about like commenting on people's stuff and replying to people and like having genuine interactions you see those numbers go up but like who's got time for that yeah uh, and then facebook yeah. facebook is just man it's another world know. the people that the people that interact with us on facebook are dan and mine's friends who like know us yeah and so like it's fine because I'm going to just share it to my own page anyway when it's something like I'm not doing that every day, but when it's something like I think is cool, share. And like yeah. Facebook is just um, 
yeah, we all know what Facebook is for these days. It's so our parents can argue about politics. Not even argue, <laughs> just have very strong opinions. Very so, strong opinions and delete yeah. anybody that doesn't agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So this, now that you started a podcast, I think you've covered like every single corner of the creative sphere. You've <laughs> done a podcast, you've done uh, videography, you've done music videos for us, you've done photography, graphic design, um, you've been in a band. Do you think one thing just led to another? I uh, made a feature length documentary. Oh, yeah. I forgot about yeah, yeah feature length documentary. So filmography yeah. as well. We can add that in. Um, do you think yeah. that these are all somehow connected or you get interested in one thing and you want to try the next thing? Or what? what is the what's the process that's kind of led to that? I think part of it is like as we've grown up and as technology has grown up alongside of us, like you just realize that there's these other avenues to pursue the things you like. So I was trying to think about it because I knew you guys were going to like ask me questions about stuff. And so last night I was just like trying to think about like, how did all of this happen? Mm -hmm. And I remember when we were kids, mom and dad had an eight millimeter camcorder. Yep. And I remember like taking that and we would like make videos in, in the basement. And I think I might've even started before that we had a home alone. I'm just realizing we had a home this alone. Footage talk still boy. Exist? No, probably not. <laughs> I don't know. Dang it. We had a home alone talk boy. You remember? That, yes, Evan? I do remember. I remember recording uh, guitar demos on the home alone talk boy. Yeah. So that was probably like the, the first thing in our house that let us like create a permanent digital creation or whatever and i remember like recording all of these like comedy skits and sketches on there and i was like i'm gonna play these back for my friends and they're gonna think it's awesome and then it, that never <laughs> happened and then yeah and then taking the eight millimeter camcorder and making videos and i remember when i was in elementary school our aunt bought me this little digital camera that could do like stop motion mm -hmm. and and doing that and mm. then we got a computer that had um, like some like web editing software on it and like you could make a website but not like publish it and so like learning how to do that and I don't like I was just always really interested in creating stuff and then um, when I was in high school uh, or maybe late middle school I, I found out that a lot of times teachers would give you the option to write a paper or do a presentation or make a video. Yes. And making a video was super easy because I had all these years of experience with the eight millimeter camcorder and then my little digital camcorder, which came with some video editing software. And I can make the most garbage video. But since <laughs> most kids didn't know how to like edit a video and I had some editing experience, it didn't matter if my project fulfilled the actual requirements the teacher would give me an a because they thought it was cool yeah so uh i just kind of like stumbled on all of this and then uh you know you know mom and dad just like letting us go out in the summers and like you and i'm evan's <laughs> younger brother i don't know if we've even said this i'm evan's younger brother so evan and my other older brother brian were in a band and like when i was like 13 our parents let me go with them on on tour one summer. Yeah, and we got like an, a <laughs> I don't even know what kind of a, a camcorder, a tape camcorder, and mm -hmm. I went along as the videographer, and just like all of those experiences, and I don't know, just kind of led me to wanting to make stuff. Yeah, I remember getting together after that tour, which <clears throat> our parents were awesome for letting. Uh, I, I we had two seventeen year olds, two fifteen year olds, and a thirteen year old. 
uh, on this tour <laughs> and our, our mom was calling us in campsite reservations because forget hotels there's no way we could get a hotel we couldn't even we weren't even old enough to get a campsite so our mom was calling us in campsite reservations and um I remember watching those tapes back after the tour and having the we had to watch them all back um ourselves first before we before we decided if we could watch them back with mom and dad <laughs> because we were yeah, because we yeah. didn't know what all we had gotten on there and i think also we weren't supposed to let them know that you had a girlfriend so we had to make sure that we scrubbed that was <laughs> no that was that would have been a that would have been a later tour that was okay. when i was 15 i think okay uh, so who ended up being your wife so <laughs> yeah it worked out it worked out i did yeah mom and dad didn't know i had a girlfriend and so brian our other brother did not like being on camera at all so anytime i would start filming him he would just say your girlfriend and then he knew that i would turn off the camera instantly (laughs) because mom was gonna watch it and (laughs) then i'm like trying to rewind and not rewind too far to like record over the show from last night yeah Yeah. oh man that's amazing and so then you from going and recording and um you know being a part of the touring experience then you uh moved on to being in a band of your own yes uh so again that wasn't something that that i started there was some guys that were my age at church who were in a band and uh i was like i want to be in a band i i had tried to start a band with my friend and uh he played guitar and so like well i'll i'll play drums i didn't know how to play drums <laughs> but uh we had we had this drum kit because our little brother got this drum kit and he didn't really know how to play drums either and i like took it over to my friends and like we decided we were gonna make a band that didn't go well so i was like well what do i actually know how to play mom made us all take piano lessons so i was like well we all took piano lessons i probably can play piano good enough to be in this like eighth ninth grade guys band at church (laughs) and um they let me in the band they had to kick out uh the girl who was in the band because they decided that we couldn't have that many people in the band so they kicked her out got me in and uh yeah we played for a while it was funny because we played for years like three years maybe as that band but i think that we played the same songs that we wrote that like first year for all three years we just like oh we got some hits and we don't yeah. need to write any more songs, man. We, we go to the shows to people go. want to hear the hits. We're not going to write any more songs. <laughs> they want to hear the classics. Yeah. I, yeah. I do remember the set list not being very extensive. It was mostly, <laughs> but playing a lot of shows, like playing five times in, oh, the, yeah. same, in the same town <laughs> in a month and playing the same set oh, every yeah. time. <laughs> and somehow people still You got to have a set. <laughs> Oh, they can't. Yeah, it was just well, when like you're in, when you're in high school and you have a band like your friends are all about it. They don't even so much care, I think, about like, you know, I mean, maybe there's a select few, but people are people just want to go see their friends play in a band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's still like that to the same extent, but that was just like yeah. our the, the culture that we grew up in during high school. Back and yeah, it's like, sure. what are you going to do on a Friday night? You got five bucks. You're going to go to the Internet Cafe and see the Great Basement Crusade play the same set for the 30th time. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the name. Oh, yeah. The Great Basement Crusade. Yeah. And they really did play at a place called the Internet Cafe. Basically, 
our our whole job at at that age was to go around to different places that were not venues and convince them that they were venues like you know really we could play a show over here the the one the internet cafe guy i think actually built a stage at one point like took out half the computers that he had and just like okay let's do this um but yeah going around and convincing you know now it's funny to walk through our old but have you ever played in the denny's I don't think we ever played at Denny's. Uh, no, we played we played in several coffee shops though that were smaller than. Yeah, Denny's. that's what I was gonna say. Walking there through our own old hometown and just seeing all these places that are clearly not venues. Say, oh yeah, play a show there. Play a show there. We had a <laughs> we had a staff meeting at a Chinese restaurant a couple months ago before all the COVID stuff happened, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it's a Chinese restaurant that it used to be the Internet Cafe, and me and a guy that I work with who was in that band. We were like standing over in the corner being like, this was my spot. This is where I played the keys. <laughs> That's great. I'm sure the, the rest of the people on staff are like, yeah, that's Just cool. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're used to our antics. So. Yeah. So yeah. then after the Great Basement Crusade, and I don't know how many people know this, but I, we, I get a lot of people that ask me um, now from American Arson, um, about Good Luck Varsity, which is the, if you don't know, is the band that I was in before American Arson. And I think most people know Good Luck Varsity by the lineup that uh, ended the band that was the last three or four years or so. But you were actually one of the founding members of Good Luck Varsity. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, after Great Basement Crusade, we kind of cannibalized that band when a couple spots opened up in your band, The Rising Tide. <laughs> yeah, that lasted for a couple years and then crashed. Uh, you know, like most local bands do, you eventually flame out. Uh, and then, so you and I were like, "Well, we still want to be in a band together, um, but everybody else sucks. Everybody you're in a band with, it always falls apart." So like, we're gonna have. You know, I know you guys think like, oh, Evan's a genius. He came up with That's this two-person two band person. idea. Yeah. Well, Evan and I tried to do the two-person <laughs> band did. thing too. And we tried it it lasted one show. Yeah, one show. It lasted one show. Uh, well, and then we're like, we need a band. We didn't have a drummer. So it's <laughs> hard for people to take you seriously. And I think... Just keyboards uh, and a guitar. Yeah. And, and uh, Scott Pilgrim uh, had just come out, the movie uh, had just come out and they're making fun of them. The Half the movie is making fun of them because they don't have a drummer because they just use the drum machine. It's like, man, our, our timing was really poor here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, we went the exact opposite and we said, uh, you know, two person band, that's not going to work. What if we had six people in a band and we just blew it up the other way? (laughs) Yeah, we were a celebration of excess at that time, I think. But we did get to need three electric guitar players. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, We were were just talking with Jason Wisdom about that. It seems like no matter... No matter what you have, you always want one more, right? You always, oh, yeah. this would be really, just one more guitar part would be really cool. Except for now, and I'm, I'm going to use Jordan's quote, you realize everyone else sucks and you just want as little people as possible. Yeah, either yeah. everyone else sucks or or I suck, one of the two. <laughs> so maybe it's yeah. me that keeps blowing <laughs> up to all these for it. <laughs> I mean, everybody who's been in a band understands like the insane social like you 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 go into a band usually with really good friends because Mm -hmm. that's who you make a band with and or random people that you met on the internet and (laughs) both of those things (laughs) one or both of those both of those things can end up being explosive because 
like the idea of being in a band is awesome. Like everybody is like, that would be sweet to be a rock star and you're going to go on tour and you're going to play shows and you're going to have people like screaming for you and you're going to make money doing something you like. And people don't realize that for a lot of bands, what being in a band looks like is being very hot, very sweaty, too many people in a small van <laughs> on the road driving through Iowa for way too long and uh, – <laughs> You, you just filled up the van with the most expensive gas in the world and you got two hours down the road and realized that the drummer's girlfriend left her phone in the gas station. You got to drive all the way back and now the gas tank is empty again. And, and she doesn't, uh, she doesn't offer to pay for it. Shots yeah. fired. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully that's she's what, not listening to this. Hopefully she is. She should feel bad about that. If you make us turn around and waste the whole tank of gas, you should at least offer to pay for it. I honestly don't even remember her name. I don't either. But <laughs> that's what that's what being in a band's real like. So if you can handle that, then you know you can do it. So yeah, uh, I yeah I couldn't handle it. So I, that was my, I, I was pretty committed to the whole band you thing. Were I did very it for committed. seven years. Yep. I uh, actually took extra classes in high school so I could graduate early so we could go on tour. Um, and then like as soon as it was about time to do that. Um, we showed up at band practice one day. Evan and I showed up at band practice and nobody else did. And that was them letting us know that the band was over. And it's like, well, I should probably go to that last semester of high school that I wasn't planning on doing because I got nothing else going right. on. Right. It's a pretty crazy way to let people know that you've just left the band. Just don't come to the practice that is at your own house. We didn't show up at yeah. practice at our house. We showed up at practice at one of the other guys' Oh, my house, word. And they just weren't there. Yeah, yeah, I remember sitting on the curb in the street and talking about whether we actually still wanted to try to, to do it or not. And that was basically like the birthplace of, of Good Luck Varsity. Uh, and then yep. we did get to do some cool stuff before you ended up leaving the band. We we got to do some yeah. touring and that was beyond the level that we had done before. Do you think, so, and that first, so we'll get into that tour, but that, that tour where we went out west was absolutely insane. But do you think the fact yeah. that you had come along um, from, you know, a very young age, or, you know, being 13 and filming it kind of helped adjust your expectations for touring? Because I think a lot of people go out on their first tour and they're expecting, you know, 100, 200 kids at every show. And we've taken some, some, touring newbies out ourselves <laughs> and had some very interesting yeah. experiences that I know you know about. So right, yeah. Uh... Yeah. Uh, I, I was, this is the thing. Like it was still an adventure. <laughs> this, it was still an adventure. Even when you're not playing to anybody or like, you know, like there's only a handful of people there. We were still going to new places, meeting cool people, and you would always have like that one or two shows on the tour that like made it totally worth it. You ended up in some pole yeah. barn in Missouri and there was a hundred people there yeah. and you sold out of every t-shirt <laughs> and it was awesome. And it made you forget the two weeks where you had shows canceled and nobody showed up and you... Um, had to try to chase down the booking agent at her house because uh, the shows that she booked were at venues that didn't actually exist. And you just forget all of that. It's a real story again. That so. good experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these aren't, I'm not making these up. This is just like actual things that happened. So by the time that I was actually in a band that was touring, I had, I had right expectations, I think. And, that final tour that we went on where we spent like, you know, a month or more in California, um, I, you know, like all of that stuff was not a surprise to me or whatever. Um, 
and I don't know, like, I don't want to say like it was that tour that made me not want to be in a band anymore, but that kind of like was like the thing that's like, okay, I've done it. Like I went for like the long haul. I don't think this is like what I want to do with the rest of my life. Uh, I was also getting ready to graduate college. I was getting ready to, um, to propose to, to get married. Mm -hmm. And so like, it was just like a lot of timing stuff and, and realizing like, there's definitely that like tension to anybody who's ever been in a band and also been in a serious relationship of just being like, at some point you either need to like figure out how to do both or choose one. And, um, it wasn't going to work out for me to figure out how to do both. It just wasn't going to work. So, well, and then, so after leaving the band, um, you ended up back out West. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that time and how that kind of shaped some of the creative stuff that you ended up doing? Yeah. So that, that last tour that we did up the West coast was kind of like half tour, half missions trip. And we didn't even really realize that. So uh, (laughs) until we got there, a a big, yeah, it's like, Oh, we're going to be doing service projects and like going to be hanging drywall, which was cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, um, I graduated college, got married like a week later, um, spent like a couple months at home. And then my wife and I moved out to Montana to do this like six months of, of school and training. And then, uh, went on a, a two month mission trip to Thailand and then ended up coming back and working with that organization for two years and living in Montana and working in creative media. So my wife and I both are graphic designers and photographers and videographers. And so when we came back from that trip to Thailand, they were like, hey, you should come work here and do all of that stuff for us. And we were like, that sounds great. Living in the mountains, um, doing video stuff. I was about to say, and getting paid. We weren't getting paid, uh, doing it for free, (laughs) but having a place to live and food to eat and stuff. So um, we were like, that sounds great. And it was a two-year commitment which sounded like, oh, you know, we can do anything for two years until like you load up the car and you're pulling away from your family and you're like, neither of us have lived away from home at that point. <laughs> like we both went to, to school at home and uh-huh. you know we'd obviously been away and stuff, but never lived 50 hours away. So that was, it was, it was tough. Like as soon as we got on the road, we're like, all right, yeah, we made that two year commitment and uh, we're coming home as soon as it's over. And uh, we ended up staying for like a couple months past it, but pretty much came home as soon as it was over yeah. just because we both like being around our families. So how did you and your wife both end up sort of having these overlapping skill sets of graphic design and and videography and stuff like that, photography? I know I know she's a little bit uh, you know more heavy into some aspects and you are into others, but it seems like there's such a, a big overlap there. Yeah, I'm definitely more video and graphic design and she's more illustration and photography Mm -hmm. but we both do all of those things but i think that a lot of it comes out of growing up in that like band scene like since she was the band you know girlfriend or whatever um she got really into doing t-shirts and album art and photography for bands like she was doing photography for like every band in our area and same with me like um it's funny i got my like my real first like experience with web design was creating and graphic design really was creating myspace layouts for bands i remember myspace layouts yeah Yeah. it's like it's like a skin basically for your profile yeah 
you weren't a legit band if you didn't have a MySpace layout. So I charged $35 for a basic MySpace layout <laughs> or $100 for like a custom CSS one that like had everything moved around different places and didn't look like your standard MySpace page. And so that was like one of my first like real paying graphic design band. I, I did like t-shirts and stuff for, for bands, but that was where the real money was, those $35 MySpace layouts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so for people that are in bands, there's uh, there's obviously a lot of value to to learning these skill sets. How do you know when you're yeah. at the point where you can start? Uh, where maybe you're at the point where you should definitely hire somebody because otherwise it's going to look like trash. Or maybe you're at the point where you're ready to transition to using some of your own your own creations. Where is that line? Or how do you even figure that out? So I think that the answer to that is you have to be willing to accept outside criticism. Mm -hmm. And so like if you can show something to somebody and not tell them that you made it and like ask for their honest opinion and they tell you that it's bad, then it's probably bad. <laughs> I had the the benefit of starting to do our band's graphic design stuff when I was like 14 so it didn't really matter if it sucked or not because we were 14-year-olds in a band and our friends were going to buy the t-shirt. Whether like I did all of those original t-shirts for that band, uh, The Great Basement Crusade, and even some of your band's stuff in mm -hmm. Microsoft Paint. Um, so like nobody should have been using that stuff, but, but we did. Um, and I look back on stuff that I made, you know, 15, 10, even five years ago. And I'm like, that's terrible. And I'm sure Evan, you, you doing your own t-shirts now for American Arts, and you probably look back at some of the older stuff and you're like, that was bad. Yeah. Just because you've grown and anytime you're an artist and you've grown, it's hard to look back on your old stuff and accept that you weren't the artist that you are now. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's songs that I wish we could just scrub right off Spotify. <laughs> it's good to have for posterity, right? <laughs> yeah 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 so i i don't know like it's tough because yeah if you're in a band and you want to do your own art you're going to save a boatload of money mm -hmm. um this is the thing i will say do use your own artwork or pay somebody to use their artwork but whatever you do don't go on like fiverr or one of these like websites where people are just stealing stuff off the internet and selling it for five dollars like use your own stuff or pay somebody <laughs> to do it but don't like don't just like steal somebody's stuff or go on on Fiverr and and devalue somebody's art to the point of five dollars. Because if you believe in your band or whatever it is that you're getting a logo or a design for, uh, you should probably believe in it more than five dollars worth. Absolutely. That's my that's my little uh, my little rant here. On, uh, <laughs> well, and basically the sweatshop of the graphic design industry. Yeah. Well, and you and we and you know you've kind of shown too that that once you learn one of those aspects, it's it's gonna it's gonna help you out in in some other things. I, you know, I obviously don't make music videos, um, but I can now put together a little ad, uh, you know, clip or a little teaser clip for a song that we have coming out um, and with. What are you talking? You just made two lyric videos. What do you mean I don't make? Well, music okay, yeah, videos? I did start making lyric videos. Yeah, <laughs> but I would never go and shoot uh, a music video for a but band. You're something. talking like the like the like directed like scripted style right. like videos. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, and though you usually tell us like other... you better come up with the idea because I just want to show up at the camera. 
Yeah. So, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier about like, I'm not an ideas person. I can make somebody's thing happen. Like if you, if I come um, to a shoot, like I want you to know what's going on and I'm going to make it happen. But like, if you're relying on me for ideas, first of all, you're going to pay me a lot more because that's going to take a lot of (laughs) effort. Um, But second of all, it's probably not going to be as good because that's not what I excel at. Like every year, um, I'm I'm a youth pastor now and every year we make like a five minute promo video for this uh, big laser tag event that we have. And a few years ago, like the kids got super into it and they're like, we're going to do like the Star Wars one. And then the next year we did like a Marvel one. And then this year, I don't even remember what we did this year, but I tell them, I was like, guys, you, you have to come up with the idea and I show them how to storyboard it out and, um, how to like write, a, a like a, a basic, a basic screenplay. I'm like, you guys do this effort and I'll come in and I'll do all of the, um, the, the filming and some basic, uh, CGI kind of stuff and I'll make it look cool, but like, you know, I'm not the guy who's going to come up with ideas. That being said, I will take somebody's idea and edit the crap out of it if I don't like it. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> so there yeah. you go. That that's really cool. That uh, you know, now that you're kind of uh, in, well, I guess you're you're you have a hybrid role of working with youth, but also doing social media and and uh, video and, and graphic design. Um, yeah. Do you still find yourself interested in, you know, the freelance kind of stuff, or you just we we ask you to make a video so you come over and do it? But <laughs> I mean, does does it does yeah. it feel like oh I get this all at, at my job? It's not like fun stuff that I get to do anymore. Or do you still enjoy doing other projects on the side? Um, I I like never really enjoyed the freelance stuff. It was stuff that I had to do because we needed money. <laughs> right. Um. <laughs> Well, no, fine. I, I guess we'll never yeah. ask you to do another music. No, 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 no. That's <laughs> wait a that's second. How, wait a second. That's not the takeaway. I don't <laughs> like doing. I don't like doing freelance stuff for um, your mom's job or what? Like, right. Some random person, like, hey, my my cousin's starting up a tortilla business and she needs a logo. Right. Yeah. And you're gonna work 15 hours on it and then you're never gonna hear back from her again. Okay. Like that stuff. I'm super, super done with working on stuff that like is fun or that like I like or for people that I like will always so not be American fun. American videos. <laughs> well, I, I make time to do your guys' stuff because it's fun and I don't hardly get to do that kind of thing anymore. So that is something like when I'm doing freelance stuff now, it's because it's a job that I like to do or because Christmas is coming up and I need to make some money. Right. Um, yeah. But, so whenever we need music videos made in like October, November, we'll... Well, you want to know what happened this year? You guys were like, we need a music video. And then my dad texted and said, hey, guys, uh, season ticket money is due for our uh, Michigan football tickets. And I said, all right, Evan, I'll shoot your music video. Just send dad the money for the <laughs> Michigan tickets. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and the videos are they are fun, at least for like the first three or four takes. And then once I've played the song, you know, for the seventh time and just, yeah, you know, and actually like yelling the words because if you just mouth them then everybody's going to be able to tell you actually have to sing them uh when we get to that point it's sort of like all right i'm good here but then it's always really cool to to get the finished product and just say like wow this is this is awesome and all i had to do was stand there and play the song seven times your guys videos are always great because we've never spent more than a single day shooting a video with you guys like i've done videos for bands where it's been like weeks 
oh, and man. like you're going back and you're reshooting stuff and like um pretty much uh, I now are you guys... these like are these like performance videos or are these like super like scri like scripted like there's acting parts and like you have to go to different filming locations both but even even with you guys and with good luck varsity when it was a, a scripted video it was still a day we never spent more than a day yeah um yeah but yeah it's it, it just kind of it just depends I, I do really enjoy doing the videos with you guys. And even like um, our cousin Jesse um, recorded a song over the COVID lockdown about the COVID lockdown. Yeah. And I, like when I when I hear like somebody that I like and like I'm really invested in, I was like, th like watching the video that he made for that. I was like, oh, it would have been so cool to like work with him on a video. And if, if it's like somebody that I know, um, like I want them to ask me to, to make the video with them because uh, – I want to be like a part of that. Yeah. Like I'm not in a band anymore. And like, and being able to work with you guys, um, gives me like that little bit of, uh, of a hit that I need. And then I'm like, okay, I'm good to, to go. <laughs> but we appreciate it. A, you don't want to, you don't want to come drive through Iowa. And, right. and <laughs> just, just, eat at uh, gas through Iowa. <laughs> I had, I had in and out three, three meals in a row. And I had a blast, uh, doing audio feed festival with you guys last yeah, year and fun. i'm always down for that whenever you get to like go and just stay in one spot and see like 300 <laughs> bands in a weekend yeah like that's that's my kind of the tour uh, comes to you at that point yeah <laughs> well we appreciated that the unbreakable video we had no absolutely no idea that it was going to take off the way that it did and yeah. it's almost <laughs> across platforms it's almost a or it may have passed a quarter of a million views Ooh, there you go. So you you guys are getting pretty close to being my number one YouTube video. Then uh, who's your number one now? Unfortunately, uh, it's currently unlisted because it's a video that we made when we were in high school <laughs> and is not 2020 appropriate. Okay. Um, yeah, we oh, no. we made like we made all these videos in high school, like I said, like to get grades on projects. Yeah, and. Um, oh no! <laughs> just like making dumb jokes or like, like we made a video. It was it's called Sea Town, and it was like a riff on um, what was the like straight edge the right? OC or what uh, Laguna Beach? It was a riff on Laguna right, Beach, like a straight okay? edge version but, of of Laguna Beach. Yeah, <laughs> the idea was: what if instead of like super rich California kids, Laguna Beach was scene kids in uh wayne county michigan <laughs> so it was sea town the real wc and like just like um making lots of jokes about like emo kids we were emo kids and like making but like one of the guys is like joking about like committing suicide all the time so it's like oh, yeah no. this just probably isn't like it, it's just not funny and like people have like real jobs and like yeah. kids and stuff now and it's like you never know what is gonna rub yeah probably better to, so i've just taken down a lot of those well and things. there were also a lot yeah, of people yeah. who got offended just about the fact that you were making fun of like straight edge and the scene and like being like you said we were emo yeah. kids so you're making fun of emo kids and they got really That's true. really like, offended <laughs> The second one in that series, um, everybody shifted from being like emo kids to being Courage Crew, yeah. which is like the militant. It's like militant straight edge. I'm and straight we didn't edge, have and I will fight what you. it was. <laughs> yeah, that was and that's all we knew about it. We didn't know that it like we didn't like really know anything about it. And so like we made this whole video like making fun of what we thought Courage Crew was, and we got like straight up death threats, like actual 
death threats and messages on YouTube. So, um, yeah, I just have taken down almost all of that stuff. <laughs> well, just... hopefully we can eclipse that. And <laughs> yes. Take first place and actually have something be that, great. that people can, can see and not want to start a fight though. There are some people that wanted to start a fight, uh, about the unbreakable video because they were very offended that we do not have a bass player. And I think that was the first time a lot of people realized that we don't have a bass player. So uh, yeah. yeah, controversy yeah, yeah, just yeah. seems to follow you wherever you go. <laughs> just wait till they hear the political stuff on the album. It'll be, it'll be I know. Glorious. Yeah. I was, I was, I was looking through some comments on your guys' most recent lyric video and people just like to be angry on the internet. And I was just like wondering like, <laughs> It must be exhausting being so outraged all the time. Yeah, on the internet. Band, write a song about it. Don't put it in the Facebook comments. Right, right. Yeah, that's what you should say. It's like, well, you know, we're a band. We wrote this song, and we would be, we would love to listen to the song that you write. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, as we as we kind of wrap things up here, I guess if somebody really give us your top uh well we we have to we have to end it on at least one if not two crazy tour stories or or travel stories since you've been a little little all over the place sure yeah before before we actually wind down give us give us the craziest craziest tour story or like i mean craziest most memorable whatever you want to yeah whatever happens to be i got two all right i got two is allowed um and and this is this is how you know that I was in a local band that nobody ever heard of in the states we were playing in because both of these tour stories have nothing to do with playing a show. <laughs> First one, I don't know if this was when I was like 14 or 15 or what. We're in Kirksville, Missouri. We just played like the only good show of the tour and they're like, "Hey, you guys want to go to the elementary school?" and we're like, "Uh, sure." Just told my wife about and this they took the other us to day. The elementary school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They took us to the elementary school. Um, where the fun things to do were climb up on the roof and walk around and pee in the air conditioner. So when school came back in the fall, the school would smell terrible. And I was like, all right, Kirksville, Missouri. I guess this is what we do for fun here. I think I left the peeing in the air conditioner part out when I told my wife this story. Yeah, no, I don't think that we partook in that um, particular <laughs> ritual, but some people you did. A, you see a phone call pop up on your phone from Kirksville after this comes yeah. up? Just don't. Hey, we've yeah. been wondering for the last uh, this 20 was, years. Why. <laughs> this was like 15 years ago, so I'm pretty sure the statute of limitations has run out on whatever uh, that was. And it wasn't us. It was, it was the locals. Right, we just observed. Arrest your own people. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the second one would be on that West Coast tour. One of the things that we would do to get a crowd to show up, we had like all sorts of things, but one of the things we do is called the Tampico Challenge. And um, yeah. I don't know if you guys know what Tampico is. It's basically like Sunny D, where it looks like a fruit drink, but it's basically just like liquid sugar. sugar yeah. And the idea was you would tell, you'd get some kids to come up, you give them a gallon of Tampico, and you'd say, if you can drink this whole gallon in 10 minutes and then keep it down for another 10 minutes, we'll give you $50. And then the longer it goes on, you keep raising it up to, I think like we were authorized to go up to like 500 bucks or something. But it didn't matter because nobody ever finished it because you'd get like halfway through and you would puke because your body just can't handle (laughs) that much liquid and sugar. Yeah. And at one show we were at, this big guy, like really big guy comes up and he's like, I want to do it. And we're like, he might be able to do it. <laughs> and so the 
the like uh, the guy who was running the tour was like, all right, you can do it. But instead of 50 bucks, if you drink it all, we'll give you a CD from each of the bands. And the guy's like, all right, I'll do it. And he he chugged the entire thing of Tampico, kept it down, what? and he got free CDs from everybody. But everybody else that ever tried it was just instantly puke. Yeah. And it was, it was awful. They would say, like, if you puke back into the container then you can drink it again and it's like stop you can just continue don't. drinking you do yeah it. yeah i think i remember seeing like a pregnant girl one time <laughs> try to do that we would be we would be doing these shows outside at like skate parks and so like the kids aren't going to come over to some like random metalcore band that's playing right but when you're like yelling hey come get 50 bucks and all of a sudden there's 30 kids there they start drinking the tampico and then you, you launch into your next song and all of a sudden you got a crowd yeah we're just gonna we're just gonna clip that part and post it as the preview when you're young you say, <laughs> yeah we hey, come get that's, 50 bucks and there's a bunch of kids there. actually maybe that's what uh that's what the main takeaway is from all of this if you've got a band and nobody's coming <laughs> tampico challenge it up but <laughs> Hey, I mean that's what that's what podcasts do with giveaways. They're like, hey, come listen to our new episode, and you could win something, and then people come and watch. Why not? Bands should do the same they, thing too. They probably you don't come vomit and though. We'll do a giveaway. They probably don't vomit from no. the giveaway. <laughs> no, um, this this month we're giving away a Sega Genesis Mini on Worth It or Worthless, um, but no vomiting is required. Awesome, Thanks, guys. Man. If you're still listening, you may be able to win that Marvel game machine. That, that no. <laughs> We would need a significantly larger uh, listener base to be able to afford giving away one of those things. <laughs> All right. So as we kind of wrap things up here, what uh, what would you say if there's somebody who's just really interested in all of these different creative pursuits and, and wants to, you know, how do I get started in, in video and, and graphic design and, and film and all of these things together? What's What recommendation would you give them? If they want to be able to do everything, so they want to be able to. If they just have an interest in all of these creative pursuits that you've um, been involved in, and just don't really know where to start. Yeah, um, I am a big believer in just do something and do it over and over and over and over again until you're good at it. I don't think that I am a like exceptionally talented person. I know that I'm not an exceptionally talented person. Like <laughs> every skill that I have. I have because I've just done it a lot. I wouldn't say that I am um, excellent or like the best at anything that I do. I can do a lot of things good enough. And um, <laughs> really any of these skills, if you put the time in and you just put the, the repetition in of I'm just going to shoot a video every day or I'm going to take a photo every day and get better at composition or I'm going to practice drawing every single day, you are going to get better at it. My wife is an extremely talented hand letterer. Um, a few years ago when that started to become popular, she just every single day would sit down and write things out over and over and over while we were watching TV. Now she has an iPad Pro with the pencil and she every day when we're watching TV, she's writing stuff. And she'll look at a drawing that somebody does and she's like, I wish that I could draw. And I say, well, you could draw. Mm -hmm. um, like that if you put the you know if every day you mm -hmm. practiced drawing like you did the way when she first started hand lettering she it was like any random girl um right like you know girls always have good handwriting <laughs> but because she's put the time and effort into it she's good at it and it's like the same with me with with video or graphic design every single time i do a video or a graphic project i i learn or refine some skill and so you really just have to put the time into it i don't know like malcolm gladwell 
um, famous podcast guy and mm-hmm. other things, but he's got um, a podcast, Revisionist History. He has a quote saying, like, if you do something for, I think it's like 10,000 hours, you'll be an expert at it. And it's really like, you can get good at anything. You just have to put time and effort into yeah. it. Yeah. Which is the only way to beat level three on Battletoads for NES oh, is by man. putting time and effort into it. Yeah, go listen to the Battletoads episode on Worth It or Worthless. Uh, if you played that game growing up, chances are the memories that you have of it are not accurate. It's probably not as cool as you thought it was <laughs> because there's no way to beat the third level. So yeah, <laughs> I just watched a, I just watched an episode of uh, of the ironically called Worth It show like the buzzfeed worth it show where they did um they like compare stuff like the cheap version of it and uh and like a really so like i don't know if you guys are familiar with it but they like basically they cover all like food like games everything um and they did one that was like um that was a video game episode and so they did like a like a 10 dollar video game and then like it's the most expensive one they usually do three and the most expensive one was a seventy thousand dollar video retro video game Whoa. there's only like a few copies of in the world the nintendo it's, nintendo world championship cartridge dan probably stadium has it. events yeah that's <laughs> dan probably yeah. has nintendo it, right? world championship no no yeah. no no there's there's only like a handful of copies oh of those. okay yeah yeah they like yeah. they they found a place that like let them take it out of the box and play it and everything and wow it's pretty uh a, yeah it's crazy know. all right well jordan thank you so much for being on with us today uh we appreciate it where can people find the worth it or worthless stuff if they're interested in checking it out yeah if you are into retro video games you can check out worth it or worthless wherever you listen to podcasts um, or you can find us on Instagram at W-I-O-W podcast. And we post lots of cool stuff, not just about the podcast. If you want to just see some fun old Sega and Nintendo ads, we got you covered. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on with us, Jordan. And we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. See you guys. Bye. See ya. Thank you for listening to the American Arson Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a positive comment or review. Connect with us online through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter, and check out AmericanArson.com for music, merch, and upcoming tour dates. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, stay inspired, stay positive, and keep creating.